You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. On this episode, The Seed of the Fay Tree, Chapter 4. If you haven't listened to chapters 1 through 3, or all seven parts of Cascade Rock, go back and listen to those episodes before continuing. Last time, Fen and Darl set out into the wild Valley of the Gods, aboard a borrowed fishing vessel. At once, they saw evidence the valley was full of terrible megafauna, a giant flying beast circling in the south, the Leviathan stalking their wake, and of course, the great water lizard that snapped at Darl, sending him toppling overboard to his apparent demise. Is Darl, in fact, dead this time? No, he's not. Come on, he's everyone's favorite character, but many other mysteries await in the wilderness ahead. Before we get started, I'd like to encourage you to go to apweber.com where you'll find more of this kind of storytelling. That's A-P-W-E-B-E-R dot com. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Seed of the Fay Tree, Chapter 4. Darl's big frame rippled below the water as the terrible maw collided with him. The reptilian tail broke the surface of the water, thrashing, disturbing the liquid lens and making it impossible to see below. All for the better, Ven thought, as a cloud of dirty sediment from the lake floor billowed to the surface like smoke from a sudden eruption of flames. Ven was broadside the carnage now. He snatched up his bow and knocked an arrow. The least he could do was slay the monster that killed his brother. He waited as the boat sailed by the terrible scene, waited for his foe to surface. The thrashing had stopped and the great tail slipped down into the deep water. Ven thought he remembered reading something about crocodiles dragging their prey to the depths to feast. Certainly this beast had done the same. He lowered his bow, staring helplessly at the dissipating sediment. Darl's head and shoulders crested out of the water with as much force as the lizard had shown when it first struck. He roared, whipping his wet hair from his eyes. Then he cast around, treading water and searching for any new threats. For a long beat, the only sound was his heaving breaths and the gentle lapping of the water. Finally, Darl lunged forward and began stroking after the boat. Before long, Darl sat huffing on the bench, his stare empty and distant. He's a killer, Ven thought. 
And then another, more nebulous notion began to take form in him. Gratitude, maybe. Yes, he was thankful his brother was alive, and more than that, he was thankful for his brother's brutal nature for keeping him alive. Are you all right? he asked, because it seemed to be the thing to ask, though Darl looked entirely unscathed. At the question, Darl's attention suddenly snapped to his brother. He smiled. Of course, he said. I survived, didn't I? Then grinned back at him and shook his head. But how? Darl shrugged. Most creatures with a spine have a weak spot right around here. He made a slicing motion toward the left side of his neck. They bleed out bad. What does Amides call it? An artery, Ben said. An artery, yeah. Ben shook his head in wonder. You killed it with a broken oar, Darl shrugged. I just jammed it in its neck. Easy. Right, Ben said. Easy. They tacked the boat back to their intended course and swept on along the savage shore, far more warily now. The Leviathan followed, an undulating swell outpacing them and doubling back around. Its consistency somehow lessened its threat in the minds of the travelers, though they knew how readily it might swallow them whole. Instead, they now fretted more about the overgrowth along the shore. What monsters might lurk in the boughs above or leap out from behind the knotty trunks? They navigated around the reeds now, and then kept an arrow knocked at the ready. Darl stood with one foot on the bow, axe on his shoulder, peering around and down into the water. How come we didn't get attacked by anything the first time we came out here? The big halfkin said. Ben pulled his bowstring taut at the sight of something moving in the trees, then let it go slack when the rustling turned into two quarreling squirrels. Perhaps our last excursion made a stir he said. You think the gods are in control of the animals out here? Like, Raywin sent that water lizard to get me? I don't know. Somehow I think not, though, Ben said, glancing out at the leviathan's swell. But something may be. Darl had his eye southward as well. That flying beast... It's coming north. The beast indeed seemed to be circling gradually outward from the crags. A foreboding feeling settled in Ven's gut. While they traveled the winding shoreline, whenever they came upon an inlet, they'd steer into it to avoid the open water where the Leviathan might have an opportunity to strike at them. But as they approached the point in their journey where they would have to disembark and continue on foot, they found themselves faced with a wide inlet, the mouth of which was blocked by great fallen tree trunks. A high, rocky fall roiled the water on the other side of the logjam. Darl frowned. We're going to have to bolt across that stretch of open water. Wait, Ven said. Maybe we can tie off here and find a way around. Darl scowled. What? Like climb that cliff and cross a swift-moving river above the fall? Nah. 
or pick our way across those fallen logs, Ven offered. I won't be able to get my cart across that, Darl said, as if it settled things. We'll have to sail across. Put your effects in your pack. You're missing the point of a cart, dear brother, Darl said with a grin. Enlighten me, Ven said, crossing his arms. Last time, we couldn't carry off all the treasure we found. Now it's lost on the bottom of the lake. But with a cart... Darl, Ven began in a conciliatory tone. I think you need to be prepared for the possibility that we aren't going to find that kind of treasure this time. Darl's eyes searched vaguely around as he considered his brother's words. Then he abruptly said, Nope. We have to find treasure, or I'm cooked. He turned to the stern to look at the other side of the approaching inlet. Should I row, or do you think we're better off relying on the wind? Then cursed. He looked out. The Leviathan had just circled back and was wheeling around to follow alongside them again. Well, now's our chance, he said, and sheeted in the sails. They sped forward, out across the darker water, then glanced over his shoulder. The Leviathan now faced them, the head of its swell aimed at their stern. Steer us toward that little beach, Darl called over the rush of wind. The swell gained on them. They were midway across, the perfect place for the monster to strike. Plenty of room for it to maneuver in the deeper water. Darl looked back. Ben could see in the wideness of his eyes and raised brows just how much the Leviathan had gained on them in the intervening seconds since he had checked. He dared not look now. His hand stayed steady on the tiller while his other gripped the rope. Was it his imagination or was he sensing a subtle acceleration? He could swear that the bench beneath him had risen up at the oncoming swell. Then he felt a small shift back down as the boat sped into the shallower water. Hardly slowing, he drove the bow straight into the beach in a spray of pebbly sand and foam. Darl rocked forward and then back, but remained standing. He turned to face his brother, grinning, then wiped lake water and perspiration from his brow. They both leapt from the boat and scrambled up the pebbly bank away from the shore to look out at the Leviathan. The creature had broken off its charge and was circling back now. Think it's going to keep circling like that? Darl said. Ben just looked on in wonder. Why did he feel that the creature would indeed remain? Why was it so interested in them at all? They gave it back the harpoon and then it had left them alone. Why menace them now? It's blocking our way back, he said. A problem for another time, Darl said, clapping his hand on Ven's shoulder. Let's unload the boat! They tethered the craft to a stump, though it was well grounded, and would take Darl's strength to launch when the time came. Darl proudly hauled his cart up the bank into the undergrowth. How far to the tree landmark? he said. I'm not sure, Ben said, drawing the straps on his pack. He secured his bow across his shoulders, where he could snatch it up quickly. 
Distances are imprecise on the map, and this is going to be pretty rough terrain. Could be a day's hike or several days, depending. Darl frowned into the undergrowth. Maybe we may camp here. Get a feel for what's out there. What we're up against. Ven cocked his head at his brother. That's a surprisingly sensible suggestion coming from you. I was just guessing what you might say, Darl said with a smirk. But if you want to march on... No, Ven said abruptly. Let's not take too many more big risks today. We don't know what's out there. Best to wade in with caution. Darl shrugged. We could take our time. I got plenty of oatmeal. On the other side of the ferns and shrubby undergrowth, the trees towered. The brothers looked up into their leafy canopies where birds sang bright, trilling songs and woodland critters leapt and scurried along the bark. Pretty, Darl commented, then swung his axe at the foliage to begin clearing space for their camp. Then winced at this, but shrugged and began uprooting bracken to make room for the fire. They strung hammocks between trunks and hung a tarp overhead. When the fire was lit, Ben stretched his back and took in his surroundings. There wasn't much he could see through the wall of green. I'm going to scout ahead, he said with a sigh of resignation. I'll boil some oats, Darl said and reached into his cart. Ben slung his sword and quiver on his hip and so armed, set out, bow in hand. He climbed the sloping, craggy terrain to the high ground where the fall issued forth. From there he could see, over the canopy of budding yellow-green, the lake below. He scanned for the rock pillars far to the south, across the water where the great flyer circled and stalked, only to find the region obscured by the terrain. Out of sight, out of mind, perhaps, he thought. He had to climb one of the leafy trees, a willowy oak, to get a view of the rising landscape to the north, where they would be headed. River on the left, he remembered. Keep Keldar in view. Close when Keldar warms the woods. The river that spilled down the rocks to the inlet below seemed to fit the description, and from where he stood, he could indeed see the white cap of Mount Keldar edging out above the green. The path ahead would take them into a dell with steep and sometimes inverted slopes on either side where mossy trickles seeped into the larger flow of water. Rocky runs and whitewater rushes here and there marked the steadily rising course. It would be a tough trek. They were right to rest for the night. He picked his way down the slope on his way back, careful of his footing, and diligent not to provoke a cascade of tumbling boulders to crash into the thicket below. What terrible wild beasts he might roust to anger should he cause such commotion. He shuddered to imagine. Once, when he felt his speed reaching untenable acceleration, he caught himself on a split tree trunk whose roots gripped the slope like the hand of a titan. He found himself staring at the pale, blonde, and splintered flesh of the tree's interior. Moisture oozed from the fresh wound. It struck him as curious. He began to idly investigate its cause. There were no scorch marks on the bark, so he ruled out a lightning strike. 
He scanned back the way he came, up the slope, then down the slope again, trying to track the probable path of a boulder that might have dislodged and tumbled into the tree. No such destruction seemed at all apparent. He took a step back and drew his eyes up, the thick, cloven trunk, thinking. He conceived the image of a terribly large bear clawing down the length of the tree till it splintered and frayed. Alarmingly, the evidence before him seemed most accountable to that notion of a bear. In any other forest, such a thought would have been fantasy. But here, in the Valley of the Gods, giant beasts stalked the deep and the sky. Why not the woods as well? Darl whistled a cheerful tune while he poured a hefty measure of oats into the small black iron cauldron steaming on the coals of their fire. Ven watched him from just outside the clearing momentarily. His brother seemed far more at ease in dangerous circumstances than he ever did on a peaceful day. What are you doing back there? Darl said before turning to look at his brother. Ven stepped out from the foliage as silently as any creature born to the woods. Just checking the perimeter, he said, defensiveness in his tone. You were trying to get the drop on me, weren't you? Darl said with a sardonic grin. Ven folded his arms on his chest. Maybe. It's dangerous out here. It's important that we stay vigilant. Darl scoffed. You can't sneak up on me. Nothing can. Ven awoke to the sound of raindrops drumming a gradually accelerating rhythm on the tarp overhead. He could just make out Darl's meaty arm hanging limp over the side of his own hammock, rising and falling with his rumbling breath. In a haze, Ven drifted again into dreams, his brother's snores settling into the background of the scene playing out in his head. Mostly, he saw shadows shifting around, deeper darkness against the gloom. Perhaps it was simply the boughs moving in the wind, except he felt no hint of breeze, and the shadowy mass drifted ever in one direction, like a great tumbleweed. Darl's snoring became labored, deeper, the panting of a wild animal smelling the air in a series of short, frantic sniffs, and then exhaling heavily. No, that wasn't right. Darl still snored, but the rumbles of his breath seemed dainty now in comparison to the panting out in the darkness. The mass of shadows paused and held still like a cat distracted by the sudden emergence of some small prey. The thought of that predatory comparison chilled Ven, and his mind went unbidden to the shredded tree he'd encountered. Now he heard the cracking of branches like they were mere twigs underfoot. The shadowy thing grew larger. A distant reedy call, a series of high, breathy notes sounded out from far away, deeper in the woods. Ben heard the cracking of branches again as the shadow receded. He realized he was now quite awake and he did not sleep for the rest of the night. Out there? Darl said, incredulous. Nah, impossible. I would have woken up. 
Fen had arisen at first light and ventured into the thicket toward where he had seen the great shadow. The big halfkin was already loading his cart when Ven returned. It was a dream, Darl insisted. I found splintered branches, Ven said. It's a massive thing just trundling through the woods like it was undergrowth. There was a storm last night. It was a gentle rain, Darl. How would you know? You were sleeping. I wasn't... Never mind. Let's just get moving. Oh, Darl said, turning to face his brother. The Leviathan is still out there. Still where? Out there. It's just circling. It's circling? Yeah. I went down to the water to take a leak and I could see it out there. Like it's waiting for us. You peed in the lake? Yeah, I pee in the lake every morning. Every morning? The water sounds help me go. It's nice. What? It's nice? You're doing that thing again. What thing? The question thing. Like I'm stupid. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around how much of your urine is in the fish I've been eating. Honestly, I thought you'd be more alarmed by the sea monster waiting for us. I just threw in the peeing thing to make it sound, you know, casual. Ben frowned. Oh, so you didn't pee in the lake. Of course I did! I pee in the lake every morning! They climbed the rise toward the waterfall, the wheels of Darl's cart bouncing on springs, with every heave, a jaunty metallic sound ringing in the air. Perspiration soaked the yellow-green blushes on Darl's brow and cheeks. I'm fine, Darl said, catching Van's dubious expression. It's kind of noisy. We'll scare off wildlife, Darl huffed, yanking the cart over a boulder. It sprang up after him, jostling. Darl grinned. See? Amadeus made it for just this kind of journey. Ven shrugged. Aside from the occasional tough stretch, Darl didn't seem overly taxed by the added burden, and he might actually have a point about the racket scaring off potentially dangerous animals. At the crest, they settled into the dell and followed the river. A deer trail wound along the course, making their way a bit easier. Clouds rolled in and drizzled precipitation, swelling the trickly flow of the little streams that drained into the river. They crossed these easily, but Darl's cart flung droplets of muddy water on Ven if he happened to be walking behind him. Before the sun was overhead, the landscape began to level out, and they found that the trees that once towered above the walls of the dell now surrounded them. Up close, they found that they were remarkable trees as well, trunks as thick as a small cottage and massive spindly branches covered in moss. Spring seemed to be already in full swing up in these woods. The leaves were ample and green, and blossoms drifted on warm air. How high up do you think we are? Darl said. Well past where I'd expect to see pines, Ben said. That's what I thought. It's hot, too. Ben scrambled up a sloping trunk and followed the winding path of one of its thick branches, frightening off a small flock of colorful birds, until he could see through the canopy of leaves. He put his hand to his brow, hunting for Keldar's white cap. 
He spotted it in the northeast. We're on course, he called down to his brother. They trekked on through the unaccountable forest, taking note of interesting wildlife. Once, an unnamed servant emerged from the thicket to study them from several paces away. The creature's impossibly tall, lean frame stood uncannily still, but life burned in its glossy black eyes. The shape of its horns were unlike any deer Van had ever seen, twisting with regal elegance. The other creatures they encountered were no less unique and beautiful. Van was glad to have brought food with him. The thought of hunting such animals seemed strangely wrong, perhaps dangerous, as if they were wandering through some reclusive royal's personal garden, as if they were trespassing. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Music help from the incomparable Mackenzie Stubbard. Please consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You'll find more stories like this one at apweber.com. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Thank you.